Now, speaking on the topic of shaking the nations, I wanna share with you today out of an Old Testament prophet that some of you may not even be aware has a book with his name in the Old Testament because he wasn't a major prophet. He was, he was a minor prophet. Now, the only difference between the major prophets and the minor prophets was how much that they prophesied. It wasn't the weight of their words. It wasn't the authority of their words. It wasn't the authenticity of their words. It was just the volume of their words. Isaiah is a major prophet. He's got a lot of chapters. Ezekiel is a major prophet. He's got a lot of chapters. Jeremiah, a major prophet. He's got a lot of chapters. But Haggai, not true. He only got two chapters and 38 verses. And in the process of two chapters and 38 verses, Haggai delivers four prophetic sermons. We don't know where he comes from, and we don't know where he goes. Because after the closing of the second chapter of Haggai, he disappears into the history of the nation of Israel. But we know this, that he arose with a very specific calling at a very important time to be God's voice to a people who were trying to rebuild the ruined foundations of the last generation. See, the Jewish people, they had become divided and they had a a civil war. The nation was divided in two and their division is what led to their downfall. The north is carried off by the Assyrians. The south is carried off by the Babylonians. And the people once again find themselves in the recapitulated cycle of bondage. Their whole story begins with the Lord raising up a deliverer named Moses to take them out of bondage. And yet through disobedience, they find themselves back into bondage. And they are reminded of their ancestors who... God called to come into freedom and miraculously provided a land flowing with milk and honey. And they're probably looking around at their destitute condition, asking themselves, how did we ever get here? But God never allows a crisis to take place without raising up a prophetic voice to call the people back to hope. And in a very unique set of events, A man named Cyrus overtakes the Babylonian empire and institutes the kingdom of Persia. And in doing so, the Bible says the heart of the king is like water in the hand of the Lord. He moves it in whatever direction he wishes. And in almost an unexplainable act of grace, he allows the Jewish people to return home to Jerusalem to begin to rebuild. And you've got to know this about God because if you read the Old Testament through the wrong lens, you'll get the wrong picture of how the Father operates. He didn't have a glutton for punishment, He didn't have a need to get even. He wasn't trying to be vitriolic or retribution in the life of the Jewish people. He simply allowed them to follow their own sin and depravity into a place where before the bondage was too small to be felt and now the bondage is too large to be broken. God loves you enough 
that if you won't say yes to him, eventually he'll say yes to you. And he'll allow you by virtue of your free will and volition to make mistakes, even like the prodigal son that brings you to your breaking point. You find yourself eating the pods that were destined for the pigs, thinking to yourself, even my father's servants are treated better than this. I must get up and return back home. And God allows that process of bondage on the outside to do an incredible work of his spirit on the inside until the people are ready to come back home and rebuild. And during this season, God raises up what are called post-exile prophets. People like Haggai and Nehemiah and Ezra and others who the Lord will use to give prophetic guidance as the people are now rebuilding once again. And this is where Haggai comes into the scene. And this is the context of chapter two. And this is the message he shares. Watch verse one. Now on the 21st day of the seventh month, that month was named Tishrei. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Now, you might not feel like this is a very profound verse to stop on and maybe draw some spiritually extrapolated principles, but I'm about to show you something because you've got to know this. Not only is the Old Testament a record of what God fulfilled to a certain people in a certain time frame thousands of years ago, it is also a prophetic reminder that the same God who did this type of work in generations past does this type of work in generations present because God works through prophetic patterns and themes. He is the God who changes not. He is the one who was, he is the one who is, and he is the one who forevermore shall be. And that is the problem with the way that the West reads scripture. We read it through the lens of historicity. Isn't that great what God did for those people back then? No, what God did for those people back then is what God still does for his people today. Now watch, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but did you know that different cultures use different calendars? In the West, we have what's called the Gregorian calendar. But depending on where you travel, you'll find folks using the Chinese calendar, the Mayan calendar, the Orthodox calendar, the Ethiopian calendar. You might be thinking, oh, come on, pastor. The West has always used the right calendar. We got it all figured out. We've had this one from the beginning of time. Not true. In 1582, it was Pope Gregory who decided that the Catholic Church needed their own calendar and he was so humble, he named the calendar after himself, the Gregorian calendar. (laughs) And it spread like wildfire until it is the most common calendar used in developed nations today. But when you're reading in scripture, especially the Old Testament, and you come across a date or a time, you need to be aware that date is attached to a calendar that is different than the one we use today. And if you don't understand the history, the text will come across as confusing. Now watch where I'm going. See, when the Bible speaks of dates, it does so in light of the calendar that was used in that time period, which would have been what? The Hebrew calendar. And that's why in two and verse one, it says on the 21st day of the seventh month, Tishrei, There was no month called September or October in the Old Testament. There was no fall season. There was no harvest carnival. There was no pumpkin spice lattes. When God spoke to Haggai, 
It was in a month that the Hebrew children called Tishrei on the 21st day. Now watch, because the Jewish people have kept such good records of their custom and culture over the last 6,000 years, we are actually able to trace with accuracy what date in the ancient Hebrew calendar corresponds with which date is in our modern Gregorian calendar. And I found something very interesting. Let me show you. The 21st day of the seventh month Tishrei, the year 5784, which is the Hebrew calendar year for 2023, corresponds with the date October 6th, 2023. Now watch, if you are a Jewish person, and you are reading through the Old Testament, and you are reading it in chronological order by virtue of what God spoke to his people on which days, then on October 6th, you would have been reading Haggai chapter two. And what does Haggai chapter two say? The word of the Lord came through Haggai and he prophesied, do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, very soon, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations. On October 6th, the Jewish people would have been reading Haggai 2. And less than 24 hours later, on October 7th, the Jewish people would suffer the greatest single day loss of life since the Holocaust as Hamas launched a surprise attack. The God who spoke back then is still speaking today. Once more and very soon, I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will rattle the nations. I will disrupt the land and the sea. And we are seeing it played in real time on major news networks all across this world as the nations is getting rattled, as Lebanon is turning up, as Turkey is saber rattling, as Iran is firing rockets, as Qatar is hiding Hamas leadership, as Russia is sending warships, as America is responding, these words are being fulfilled in our midst. Once more, I will shake the heavens and the earth. I love what the prophet Amos says in Amos 3. Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan First, to his servants, the prophets. See, Haggai was one of 12 minor prophets in the Hebrew Bible. The Lord used him to help steer a nation out of captivity and back into covenant. After thousands of years, the book of Haggai remains unique amongst the books of the Old Testament prophets for one key reason. The people of Israel listened and watch what the scripture says it doesn't say the word came to Haggai it doesn't say the word came from Haggai it says the word of the Lord came through Haggai 
There's a difference between being a skilled communicator and an anointed authoritative communicator. The first sermon that Jesus ever preaches in the synagogue, he unrolls the scrolls and all he does is read verbatim, word for word from the prophet Isaiah. His only contextual hermeneutic is today these words are fulfilled in your midst and he sits down. And the net result of that activity is a riot in Nazareth. And the people said of Jesus, who is this rabbi that he teaches with such authority? I'm here to tell you until a word comes through you, it doesn't have the authority to bring transformation to the one who is waiting on the other side of those words. See, words are like arrows that shoot forth. The Bible says the power of life and death is where? In the tongue. With words, we both curse and we bless. How many thousands of times had those words from Isaiah been read from that very podium in that very synagogue? Yet for some reason, when Jesus read those same exact words, there was a unique authority on his life. And when Jesus spoke, it wasn't words from him, it was words through him. And in doing so, it shifted the spiritual dynamic of a region. And I'm here to tell you, when you get a word that you've had to fight for, work for, contend for, pray for, weep for, fast for, when it comes from you, you don't even have to tell people it's authoritative or anointed. They just know. We got a lot of people who are professional communicators. But when you get somebody who's been with Jesus, they'll turn a city upside down. Haggai is unknown. He never gonna make it on the scene. He never gonna be invited at the conference. He don't come from the right family. Don't have the right last name. Nothing, 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 nothing. But what Haggai has is an anointing that comes from heaven above. Now, the Bible says this in Romans. The calling, the gifting, and the anointing, it's, it's irrevocable and it's without repentance. Meaning that what God grants it, he won't take it away. But the anointing is like a gift that God gives you. It's free, but its development is costly. We don't know much about Haggai's life outside of that he was a man that was marked by God. And heaven and earth will pass away, but the words of the Lord will never pass away. And an unknown prophet from a family we've never heard of, his words are now forever enshrined in, in, in the canon of, of, of God's scriptures. Instruction for us today. Why? Because when you've received an anointing from the Lord, it comes with an authority to help chart the course of nations. Now, now watch what happens. Haggai continues in, in this word and the people of Israel aren't even really ready for it because the entire remnant has come back home. The entire remnant, okay? And they've been tasked to rebuild the temple. And they start. They start really well. They start, they start really well. But you don't get a participation trophy for starting well. Because our world is filled today with people who started well but finished worse. And they started well and they laid the foundation. But because of the comments of outsiders... They ended up allowing chaos around them to create chaos inside of them. And for, watch, for seven 
13 years. They disregarded the task that God had given them. For 17 years, the silence was deafening. There was no clank of the hammer on the temple. There was nobody out hand cutting lumber to build the walls and frame in the ceiling. There was nobody preparing the brazen altars for the sacrifices that needed to take place. There was nobody preparing the beautiful, bright, brilliant courts where the people would gather. For 17 years, all they had was the idea that they had started well and then grown weary and well-doing and laid down the tools and didn't finish the task. They laid the foundation, but that was it. How foolish is it to celebrate a foundation that you never build on? All you do is live in the past. All you do is have a museum of relics and memories of that which God did a decade or two decades ago, but the proof is in the pudding. It's in what you build upon that which Christ has laid. Christ is the foundation of the church. We've at least got that figured out. But if you never build on the foundation that has been laid, then you misunderstand the purpose of the foundation in the first place. And we've got a world that is enamored with foundations while spiritual people live homeless in the streets. Look at our foundation, it's so pretty. But until you build walls and set up altars and create space for people to experience the power and the presence of God, then a foundation is only just that for 17 years the work had grown silent and God raises up Haggai to break the silence with a prophetic statement Israel get ready for one more time the God you serve will shake the nations of the earth. Now watch. And if the temple isn't ready by the time the nations start shaking, then how can the house of God be a place of refuge for the people who are running from the shaking around them? Can I tell you, watch. When the world is shaken, the church is not. When the economy of the world crashes, the economy of heaven only goes up. While the enemy loses territory, the kingdom of God gains territory. I'm not saying we don't ever have trouble. I'm saying in every season, we overcome. The purpose of the shaking is not to rattle the church, it's to rattle the nations out of their complacency so that they can see the Lord high and lifted up, who Haggai calls the desire of the nations. Do you know why we have shaking in the Northwest? Because Paul says in Romans, the entire earth is groaning like a woman in labor with great birth pains, crying out for the revelation of the Son of God. The reason why we have shaking in our economy is because there's a spiritual hunger that is yet to be met. The reason why we have a shaking in my generation is because there is a spiritual hunger that has yet to be met. The reason we got shaking in our courts, our school systems, our governments, our city streets, from homelessness to crime, do you name it, is because there's an unaddressed spiritual need. But how can these people run from the shaking to find refuge in the church if all we live is in the history of what God did instead of the present day move of what he desires to do? Oh yeah, come hang out on our foundation. That's cool. The foundation don't protect you from the wind and the rain. 
It gives you something solid to stand on, but the point is not the foundation. It's what gives you something stable to build upon. So Haggai is giving a warning to the people. God is gonna shake the Persian empire. You think Cyrus is so strong? There's another one coming to knock him out. You think everything's so stable? Just wait. You think you've had a crazy last couple years? Jerusalem, get ready. For one more time, God will shake the heavens and the earth. And when God begins to shake, it's for the house of God to be full with that which shakes loose. The reason why we've got to prepare the nets in this season is because with the eyes of faith, we see the harvest coming in the next one. The reason why we prepare the ship in this season is because we got the wild waves of the, of the next one. The reason why we steady ourselves now, prepare ourselves now, allow God to do the interior work now is because by the time the shaking starts, it is too late to get prepared. I was flying home last night uh, from Vegas and, and, and the pilot got on the intercom and he said, on my Doppler radar, I can see that in about seven to nine minutes, we're gonna face some turbulence. So whatever you're doing right now, I need you to go back to your seat and put on your seatbelt. The shaking isn't happening right now, but very soon it will. And once it starts shaking, if you're in the aisle with your drink or in the bathroom or getting up and talking to a neighbor, it will be too late. So I am telling you seven to nine minutes in advance, get ready because there is a shaking that is coming. And as the pilot, I want you to be safe because I know where we're going. I know we're gonna get there safely. I know this plane is gonna land. I know you got families to see and businesses to run and kids to hug. We're all gonna get through it together, but let me help you. There is a shaking that is coming. So fasten your seatbelt and get ready. And Haggai is prophesying to Israel. And he's saying, y'all get ready to be shook by every nation around you. But if the people of God will build on the foundation which he has laid himself, then when the nations shake, what destroys others will only build Jerusalem. I'm here to let you know when the shaking happens in the world around us, do not fear. When you hear wars and rumors of wars and plagues and pestilences and one nation rise against another, it is not the end, but these are things that must happen. Because when the world starts shaking, hear me, stuff that has been locked up in spiritual places all of a sudden gets loosed in acceleration into the church. The wealth of the wicked comes to the righteous. The prodigal comes back home. Healings, breakthroughs, miracles all of a sudden begin to happen in an accelerated fashion. Why, why, why? Because when the world starts shaking, the stuff that the enemy has held so tight to, he loses his grip on. And if the church isn't ready to receive it, it will be caught by lesser forms of idolatrous worship where people find themselves back in the same cycles of bondage God just shook them out of. What does Jesus say? If you sweep the house and you make it clean, but you don't guard it, then what you shook loose will come back sevenfold and you'll be worse off than you were before. If we don't prepare now, we miss out on the season of harvest that is coming.
I'll get right with God when, you know, I really have a crisis. By the time you have a crisis, friend, it'll be too late. For one life will soon be passed. It's only what's done for Christ that will last. Life is but a vapor. You were born in dust. You'll die and return to dust. But God remains and his word remains and his bride remains. And I'm telling you, if you will find yourself planted in the house of God, preparing the sanctuary of your heart, then when the world is at its worst, the bride of Christ will be at her best. Haggai says, get ready. For on the 21st day of the seventh month, Tishrei, the Lord says to you, Jerusalem, I will once again shake the heavens and the earth. Let me end with a story. A few years ago, I was dropping off something at a, at a friend's house from the church. I had to... Um, I had to, uh, it was like a care package. They were sick or gift card or something. I don't know what I was doing. But I was dropping something off at a person's house in Bothell for the church and we had a miscommunication on the time. So I showed up early, but they were running 15 minutes late. So I'm standing on their front porch, just waiting for them to get back home, just scrolling on my phone. The Lord says, put down your phone. And I go, why? There's nothing else to do here. I'm just waiting. The Lord says, I'm gonna show you something. And I'm like, well, you better. So I put away Twitter. I stood there on the porch. The Lord said, walk over to that fence and peek over it. I said, now I'm gonna get arrested because this looks like breaking and entering. Okay? So I went over and I peeked over the fence and I saw something in the neighbor's yard I'd never seen before. A big old weird machine attached to the trunk of a brilliant apple tree with a ton of bright red apples just right, waiting for somebody to pluck them. And a man was out there by his machine, pouring gas in the machine, getting ready to start it. Eventually he caught me staring at him and I was like, look, I don't know what I'm doing here either, but just whatever you're doing, keep on doing it because I gotta see what's gonna happen next because I didn't know what was happening. And it had these giant nets that extended from the machine and finally he started up and it was a loud diesel motor and it rumbled to life. And all of a sudden it began to, as soon as he pressed the button, it began to violently shake the tree. I didn't know what was happening. I thought maybe he was trying to uproot it, get rid of it, whatever. It was diseased, it was cancerous, what was going on? He began to violently shake the tree. And in under 30 seconds, every bright red apple fell off of the branches and was caught in the net. And after 30 seconds, he pressed the button again, the whole machine turned off. And he did in 30 seconds what it would have normally probably taken an entire crew a week of picking to do. And as soon as it was done, the Lord spoke to me and said, Russell, one more time, I will shake the heavens and the earth. And stuff that used to take a year to accomplish in a moment of time will be accelerated. And the shaking will at times seem so violent that you will think the tree is gonna be destroyed. But the tree will not be destroyed. It's just that the harvest that has been held back will be loosed in supernatural fashion. But if you don't prepare your nets, if you don't prepare your nets, when the tree loses its fruit, it will hit the ground and become damaged. So get ready for what I'm about to do is a quick work, an accelerated work, and in doing so, I will make up for lost time. One more time, I will shake the heavens and the earth. 
There's a shaking that's coming and it's already here. Some of you are feeling it today and you haven't had context for it, but I just gave you language now. You can begin to recognize that this isn't God trying to take you out. This is God trying to set you up. And he's causing stuff to come your direction in supernatural speed and in fashion. I wouldn't be surprised if some of those things you've been praying for, contending for, all of a sudden just get loosed in the next number of weeks. Some of those kids that you've been praying for that have been far from God, all of a sudden calling you in the middle of the night. I need to come home. I don't know what's happening. The Lord just spoke to me. I just wouldn't be surprised if all of a sudden God by his spirit begins to supernaturally shift things in favor for the church of God in the Northwest. But it's for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. Because once the rain starts, it's too late to knock on the door of the ark. You don't have time to get ready. You better be ready. Because there is a shaking that is coming. Time to fasten your seatbelt. Pursue is about to get wild. But when God begins to shake, <laughs> When God becomes to, when God starts to come quickly to his temple, when the suddenlies of God begin to swirl in the atmosphere of the church, all of a sudden dreams that you forgot you had, prayers you forgot you prayed, stuff that has been locked up by principalities and powers, all of a sudden like a mighty rushing wind, like a flood comes in to the inheritance of the righteous. And I simply refuse to miss this 